HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Essex Market. Essex Market is New York City's most historic public market, proudly located on Manhattan's Lower East Side. Find the freshest produce, meat, fish, and specialty foods from over 30 unique vendors. Learn more about the market's family of small neighborhood businesses at EssexMarket.nyc. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. I'm your other half, Darren Bresnitz. We are back the third stop on our Fatem book tour in support of our new book, Snacky Tunes. Music is the main ingredient, chefs and their music. And this one, this one was just hanging out with old friends. We, we made a lot yeah. of new friends on the book, but, but these were just people that uh, I think we go back as far as we possibly could. Uh, who, who joined us today, Darren? Oh man, we have two of our favorite guys in the restaurant business, Isaac McHale Daniel Willis, they are just fantastic. Clove Club, Luca, Two Lights, London, Shoreditch. I mean, just two all-around great guys. And uh, we've known them over a decade. We took them dancing. Dancing on the floor of Webster Hall. We took them dancing and we took them to the rooftop at LeBane. It was a a night to remember, a morning to regret. And if we're speaking of nights to remember and maybe mornings to regret, I couldn't be more excited to be sitting down also with Al Doyle of Hot Chip, an LCD sound system, just one of the all-around. Can we call him a modern man? Can we yeah, call we can him? Call, we we can. We right. can call him a modern man. Yeah, let's do it. Let's name. Yeah, it. he's a real, real bohemian, a real great guy. He gardens, he cooks, he plays music, he tells jokes, and he tells us about the magic of a airport pint. It really is a great conversation, and uh, it's it just it's buds. It, it makes it makes me miss people. It makes me miss people a lot. And we, we talk about London, and it's great. This was the one that made me go, oh, um, I can't wait for this to be over. And uh, as always, uh, for the, the chat, for all proceeds of the book sales went to Help Refugees, a really wonderful website um, dealing with the refugee crisis uh, and making sure that people who are in bad situations get the help that they need. So please make sure to check them out. Uh, and please make sure to check out snackytunes.com to purchase a copy of the book and listen to all the other episodes on the book tour or just some old Snacky Tune episodes. Darren, why don't you get us over across the pond? Oh, man. Go across the pond. Call your barrister. I believe that's the right thing or your M- your MP. I'm not 100% sure. But listen, call who you ever need to in London. Call your senators in New York. We need to save our restaurants. It's just it's awful. And the winter's only going to be worse. But here's an hour of a little bit of lighthearted conversation with the Clove Club guys and Al Doyle of Hot Chip here on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Welcome to Snacky Tunes, London stop on the virtual book tour. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. The other half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Darren, good to see you. And good, good to see you. What? Got, I said we've got some friends on today. We, I mean, we got some friends. friends. These are some of our oldest friends uh, on the book tour. Um, we've got the team behind Clove Club, or part of the team behind Clove Club, and Al Doyle, uh, musician extraordinaire. Uh, as we mentioned before, everyone needs to introduce themselves because Zoom is a fickle creature. So, why don't we uh, start with uh, Al, and then we'll, we'll go to uh, Daniel and, and Chef Isaac. 
Okay. Uh, hi there. My name is Al Doyle, and I play in Hot Chip and LCD Sound System. And I am sitting here in London. I'm actually pretty close to where the club club is. It's East London, and uh, looking forward to talking to all of you guys. Uh, hi, here's Dan. My name is Daniel Willis, and I am one of the founders of the Cove Club. There are two of the three musketeers on this call today. The third one, um, I'll pour some still uh, tap water out for Johnny Smith, uh, absent today. Uh, I run the front of house. Um, sometimes I'm the maitre d', sometimes I'm the general manager, general kind of strutting around the floor, making sure everyone's having a nice time. And I'm very happy to be here with Bresnitz Brothers to discuss food and music. Hi, I'm Isaac McHale. Am I on? Oh. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, hello, hi, I'm Isaac McHale, uh, chef from the Clove Club, Daniel's partner. Uh, looking forward to chatting to everyone. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. So, we know we've, as we mentioned, we've known or everyone's known each other for a long time. And over the time, there's been a lot of evolutions in the music you play, the food you cook, your approach to creative process. And we'd love to dig in and each of you talk about your own personal evolution in creating your own artistic discipline, whether it's a song, an album, a recipe, a dish, or a restaurant. How's that changed over the ages? And what is maybe the one thing that now, decades into your career, you've really felt comfortable and has come to define you? Wow. <laughs> um, I'll have a quick bash at that. I mean, um, yeah, I've been doing what I'm doing professionally for pretty much and when I started, I knew absolutely nothing and, and right now I know a little bit more than nothing. Um, and I think that probably is the realization that you come to is just definitely uh, how there is just always a hell of a lot more to be revealed about your craft. Because, um, you know, when we started out, we were really just sort of traveling around with uh, cheap keyboards and rucksacks wrapped in towels um, with no supporting people around us. And, and now, you know, there's, you know, the sort of machine and the apparatus is a lot bigger and more complicated. But, um, you know, you still have to sort of get into a room and, and think of something cool you know, to make a song out of, and you still have to get on stage and play something with some semblance of accuracy. Um, so those things haven't changed. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, um, I've been very, very lucky to have to ask some amazing people to work with and um, realize that over the years is that I enjoy helping other people do what they want to do and I feel as though that that's kind of what I'm good at ultimately and that's my kind of wheelhouse like I don't uh I've sort of tried to set, take the lead on things and I and I enjoy that because I think I can do it but <laughs> I've sort of kind of realized that it's it's sometimes it's better to kind of be the person that that helps somebody else get to where they want to be with something so um so I've been enjoying doing that recently. I've just built a new studio that's actually, again, yeah, like I was mentioning, very close to uh, to the Clove Club. I can sort of walk to the Clove Club pretty much from where I am. And um, Dan also lives geographically quite close to me in South London. So I see him all the time. I saw him a lot during uh, lockdown, maybe a little too much, Dan. <laughs> we were having some pretty not for uh, me not for me no, no 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 well you know no it was the exact right amount uh yeah some late night uh, sessions on park benches which was uh pretty interesting and pretty low down and very very cool um so yeah so it's uh it's nice to i don't know i mean like you know we sort of have a, a relationship that that spans both you know food and musicy things we were actually doing some music together and uh, we were just talking to Isaac about when we first met, which was um, when Nancy from LCD and another friend, a Scottish friend of ours called Timmy invited us to 
the first iteration of what um, Dan, Johnny and, and Isaac were doing together, which is at a place called the Ten Bells in London, again, very close to where I am right now. And um, yeah, we've just been sort of very good friends since that time. Sorry, that just went into a bit of background there. That wasn't quite necessary, but- That's great. I'll, I'll just think we that. need a little background on background here. Um, okay. Daniel, Isaac, I know that you guys have evolved as well. I mean, I remember um, coming up to you at LaFooding because I had read about your pop-up years ago. And now you guys have taken an incredible step to go from a pop-up to this, I mean, one of the top restaurants in the world. And that's just, that, those aren't my words. That's, you know, very much on many people's uh, lists. So I'd love to hear about that and about maybe making that jump from um, a pop-up and doing it more like running on DIY stuff to playing in this bigger world. Um, yeah, Daniel, do you want to go? Uh, I don't mind. Shall I, shall I go and then you can fill in the blanks? Okay. Yeah, so I think from those early kind of pop-up days, you know, we did a supper club. That's how we met, you know, in terms of the crossover music and food. We met Isaac in Croatia through music, actually, on a boat party um, through Optimo. Um, and my brother as well. My brother and Isaac's best friend, both the DJ used to DJ together. They used to be called Alea Alea and they used to do nights and like mixes and stuff and blog posts. Back when people used to post music on blog pages, remember that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, all the words of uh, food and music definitely collided. That was very much the case, I think, at the supper club when we had, you know, Mr. Weatherall and Sivon Smag and um, Errol Alcan, people like that, produced playlists for us. Um, and then obviously we were working with some amazing chefs, James Lowe from Lyles. And obviously that was kind of when our relationship with Isaac kind of really solidified. And then the pop-up days, Temp Bells. Um, yeah, and I think for me, I think the creative process, I think is interesting because for me, it's so multifaceted. Um, the, you know, there's the music side of things, you know, take Al and I have been working on music together. There's Isaac and I, our appreciation of music, how music is, manifests itself in the restaurants and the soundtracks to the restaurants themselves. But then also the creative process for the restaurants and the concepts themselves, you know, um, just discussing some of that stuff today and you know Isaac's menu and then that kind of is the kind of the catalyst and then it's you know thinking about you know the narrative of that menu and where that goes in terms of a concept how do what do we call it um you know drinks are we going to serve you know and I think yeah there's so there's so much to kind of dig into I suppose in terms of the kind of pop-ups and the kind of evolution of what we did into the kind of space, which is, you know, Shoreditch Town Hall, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was, that was a really big learning curve for me. I think the <laughs> biggest I've personally I've ever had, because we'd gone from sort of quite controlled kind of environment of a room above a pub, me and Johnny, Isaac and James cooking food. And then I kind of had to sort of train people a massive team how to do that then I had to learn how to manage a, a restaurant which then developed to Michelin Star and you know I really I really 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 struggled to start off with you know I, I always use the analogy for um, for all of my team in terms of their ability to manage stress and and, <laughs> and look graceful uh, I always ask them to think about the um, the air hostess who always is always smiling just as the plane's about to crash into the mountains and um, I think I uh, <laughs> quite a morbid analogy but uh, it's, it's one that's kind Every of before service think it's about quite fun. it's quite funny uh, and um, I um, I suppose that was kind of what I did really I tried to put a brave face on it but I was very much um out of my depth, uh, but it, you know, you only learn and you only grow from those kind of experiences. Um, you so, look confident when you're doing it. You always look confident, Dan. That's your oh. your uh, your great gift, I think. <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was. I think. Uh, yeah, there's always that point where I don't know. I kind of I've become with that. You know, I've become very good at it, what it is that I do. I know that I'm confident in what I do, and you know, sometimes when there's like 
someone's fallen down the stairs, someone needs, someone's made a complaint, you know, um, someone's coming over trying to say to me they've had the best meal of their life. One of the staff members is arguing with someone else. Someone needs me to cash off something, you know, and all these things are happening within, you know, uh, the space of like 30 seconds. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's just like, I almost kind of find it quite fun. And I think it's a similar vibe to the kitchen where you're like, you know, you're really going down. It's like, how much pressure can I soak up and how can I get myself out of this situation? Um, so I suppose, yeah, I think that was in terms of the transition from, you know, kind of sporadic supper clubs in random locations to, you know, grade two listed buildings, serious restaurant, um, permanent venue, um, pressure opening reviewers. Uh, yeah, it was, it was tough to start off with, but, um, you know, I think it's that thing, isn't it? 10,000 hours and you start to actually know what you're doing. And I don't think I'd, maybe I had clocked up 10,000 hours, but not necessarily in that environment, in that kind of new challenge. Hours and hours of solid drinking. You definitely <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Quite early on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think one thing I thought about then, I'll, I'll finish and maybe Isaac can talk, I think in terms of a personal creative process, and I feel like that is restaurants and food um, is... I think it, music has very much taught me, you know, if, if I find out a new genre of music or a subgenre or some, you know, you know, Zook from Guadeloupe, you know, is kind of like an obsession of mine at the moment or has been for a couple of years, you know, that all, all those kind of, that music from all that area of the island, St. Martin, you know, it's like, I'm like, great, there's something that I don't know anything about, but I love it. And like, how do I immerse myself in it? How do I get, become an expert at it? You know, um, how do I, you know, find out as much as I can and, you know, I think that's, um, and it's similar in the restaurant environment as well. It's like, we're going to do something. Well, how do we do it? How do we become the best at it? How do we master that? Um, and I think, you know, like I was saying before about, you know, that in terms of the clothes club, the framework of it, those first supper clubs, it was like people stood up and had a couple of snacks. Then they sat down and had like four courses in this sort of set menu. And, and that kind of format has not changed. You know, we stood at that now. Obviously the meals are longer, but the essence of what it is that we do still today although it's the the kind of environment and the stage as it were is you know much bigger and larger you know that the essence of just trying to give people the most amazing evening that we can um through teamwork is is essentially what what we do to this day and i think um yeah i think that's that's something i think i know i know isaac feels as well isaac um hey I guess uh, being uh, when we started to do things together it was a, a funny time for me because I'd come from working six years in London, but I've been working in West London, uh, which is, for those of you who don't understand, boring. Probably <laughs> <laughs> London, I would say. All my friends were living were living out east. I worked out west, Notting Hill, and had to live very close by so I could get into work before 7 a.m. and get home after 1 a.m. And I just felt prior prior to that, kind of growing up, I'd you know spent a lot of time in clubs in Glasgow and going out and partying and love music. And very much that all stopped when I came to London because I just I was there to work. We were open seven days a week. I might not have a weekend off. I was just working and I'd arrive when it was dark and leave when it was dark in the winter. And it was kind of, it wasn't, you know, uh, once every couple of weeks, I'd have time off. I'd go and travel all the way over and see friends in East London, fall asleep at, fall asleep at the table in the pub talking to them or, you know, I was just exhausted and working and learning and it was necessary. But then... Uh, wanting to leave and do my own thing, and I met up with met up with Daniel and Johnny, and uh, there was two people who had shared musical tastes and interests and a sense of fun, and there was a chance to do something that was ours and that was younger and wasn't uh, plush carpets and uh, like you know, old people in West London, it was young and fun and fresh and something that was ours. And uh, 
So the first thing we did was, uh, well, not the first thing, but let's just call it the first thing, was uh, <laughs> the club at Daniel and Johnny's flat. And um, we, uh, it was the era of the supper club. I think that era has come and gone. They still exist, but there was definitely a, a period in time when they were, they were what everyone was doing. And uh, I think just, <laughs> Daniel thought they just weren't very good. <laughs> he said to James, we're just gonna, none of them are very good. We're just gonna blow them all out of the water and do the best summer club ever because we know what we're doing. So uh, James did the first clothes club that meant uh, moving their flatmate out of their flat for three days so they could put all the furniture in the house into his room and set up the whole kitchen living room as uh, two tables of two tables of ten and, and fill the flat for three days in a row with with guests and cook a dinner for them and uh, we uh, or they decided they wanted to do a soundtrack for each for each night. So to invite, would speak to friends, musicians, DJs, and get them to uh, to do a playlist for each night. So uh, Daniel, do you want to talk about the playlist for? Um... Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think it was kind of. Um... I think I think there's features in the book as well. Yeah, it does. Should I tell a story? Yeah, actually, and this is a great thing because, you know, so for people who uh, have the book or don't have the book, every chef uh, and restaurateur has a playlist. Um, and uh, Greg, do you want to talk about how we got this last playlist and when we got it? Well, I think it might be better to Daniel to tell the story. I, I will say this, though. Uh, in the book, there are playlists, there are recipes, there are narratives. And across the board, the chefs uh, and participants, uh, restaurateurs cared more about the playlist than they did about their recipes. They're like, yeah, it's fine. I don't know, uh, parsley or, you know, oregano, I don't care. But you got the demo version of this song and I was looking for the live version of this song. Uh, and I wanna make sure it's not the remastered version, it's the original because I think they messed it up and we're like, okay, so we actually spent more time analyzing the Spotify playlists than we did being like, does anyone want to check the recipe? They're like, nah, we're, we're fine. The, the recipe's fine. It's, it's, it's fine. We're like, okay. So uh, Daniel, you are actually the, you, you have the dubious honor of the only one in the 11th hour completely scrapping their playlist. Uh, and changing. Oh no, hold on, hold on. That's not fair because we gave him the opportunity because, and I'll let you tell, but Andrew Weatherall, we lost him this year in February. Uh, which, you know, if anyone's a fan of music, uh, he's influenced you. You've probably listened to his songs. You've probably listened to more of his songs than you knew about. Yeah. And when he passed away, Daniel, you reached out and I'll let you take the story from here. Yeah. So the um, original playlist um, was another pretty, uh, always been another funny evening. Uh, but um, yeah, essentially, Andrew passed away. And I kind of, I'm not so keen on the kind of, uh, you know, posthumous dedication, uh, sort of uh, making yourself kind of, I don't know, it feels quite sycophantic in a way to sort of kind of, especially Instagram, such a kind of hollow place in a lot of ways uh, to sort of promote yourself about the passing of someone else in a way. It's always kind of felt uh, a bit at odds and I've always been conflicted. So I've never really done it. Um, and um yeah, I think just because of the sort of interaction that we had with Andrew and, and how kind of how big a part he played in that in that first kind of so the second supper club for Isaac Supper Club, you know, it really was kind of it was it was a big part of our story. I I just felt that I would tell this kind of small anecdote. So I did a post, um, and I, I'll tell it, but it, actually a couple of people kind of shared it with his wife and a couple of other people kind of got in contact with me and uh, said how much they loved it. And, and you guys were, were one of them yep. as well. So essentially yep. what happened was um, we reached out, uh, or a friend of ours, Rachel, reached out to uh, Caroline, Andrew's manager, and asked him if he would do a playlist. And in exchange for dinner- There was three playlists. 
Yeah, there was three. Yeah. For each night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who did you? Was it? Um, I feel Keith. like it was Keith, obviously. Second one, I think. I did one. Optimo, Andrew, and then I feel was it James Holden? Yeah, maybe. Or James, James Holden did one as well. Yeah. Um, so a bit of a bit of a mad spread. So um, so Andrew, yeah, we got in contact with him, and then he said he was going to do it, and obviously we said, you know, you could please come uh, and bring a guest with you. So he turned up um, and he had a jiffy bag um, with him and he sort of, he bowled in, but he didn't really do it in a way which was particularly kind of showy or kind of hard edged. He just sort of like sauntered in and then looked and went, which one of you wants this then? And um, I was like, uh, oh, I'll take it. And then he handed me his jiffy bag, which said gastronomic plentification on it. Uh, and it said on it, contains no Googles or downloads. Uh, and then he'd handwritten the entire playlist and it was essentially kind of 20 tracks or 24 tracks of um, of all kind of amazing rockabilly music, which referenced um, food, essentially, grilled onions and all these kind of amazing uh, tracks, which he just pulled out of his collection. So he just sort of thrust it into my hand and said, uh, there you go. And I didn't do any fucking Googles or any downloads to get these all for my collection. I bet no one else did that. And I punched him in the arm and then walked off. But um, so he, kind <laughs> of came, he came in with quite a lot of gusto, but then actually he sat down and um, he really, he really kind of, he really understood what we were trying to do. I think he really loved the idea of it. He kind of, you know, uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't a socialist but he was in the sense of like someone like a conversationalist he wasn't someone that went out and he was a socialist in the uh, political ideological sense but not in the kind of um he kept himself to himself he's quite quiet but he really opened up around the people at the table and you know obviously so many people kind of um i think it's really easy to kind of avoid those situations because people do fan out so much and kind of try and sort of have a moment with you and tell you something profound about how much your music's affected them. But he, he was just a real gent. And I really, um, I really thought, um, I just really loved spending that evening with him, even if it was just to pour some water and some wine for him. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, he kind of, I, I, my post, um, I said he hadn't come to the restaurant because I tried to get him to come to the opening, but he came on a night apparently when I wasn't there. So uh, he actually came to the Clove Club, which um, is really lovely. Um, and I, 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 I wasn't there and I just must have forgotten that uh, he'd, he'd actually made it. So uh, it's really sweet that he did actually finally come to experience the restaurant. It's, uh, it's amazing that both dishes and playlists can capture a moment that you can look at this playlist from something that you guys did as a pop-up forever ago and have all these stories. And I'm sure Al, as well, you look at a song and you remember where you were when you wrote it, how the lyrics came together. Uh, Daniel, one of the things that you said was about this concept of 10,000 hours and just this idea of repetition. Yeah. Um, and I want to think like, I both think that both culinary um, either service or menu creation or songwriting um, and also performing is something that you do every night. You do the same thing over and over and over again. And something that I think that you only learn um, by doing something uh, over and over to use the, use the words correctly. And Al, I'd like okay, to say, nice. yeah, just, you know, from, from the fans to the fans. Yeah. Um, I, and Al, I'd be curious, you know, and starting with you, um, in your night after night of performing, was there something that was a, a subtle lesson learned or a, a takeaway or a musical, um, you know, kind of lightning strike that you only were able to get after having the opportunity to do it time after time um, on, you know, your thousandth time or 10,000th time playing a song that you're like, wow. I would have never been able to do this had I not had the same repetition. And then same to Isaac and Daniel afterwards about service and recipe and cooking um, equally. Well, this is a funny one for me personally because I have two ex different experiences, two completely polar opposite experiences of playing live and approaches to how you like, you know, slice the cake on, on like a live performance with Hot Chip and LCD because um, like the guys in Hot Chip are, are are very bad at doing things the same because they find it uh, like just sort of boring <laughs> and which I get and like you know so there's a lot of and there's a lot of improvisation in that um, in that band so like sometimes I'll just look over and like 
Alexis won't even be playing the instrument that he normally plays on that song. And like things get extended and changed and just like solos get added and things get left. It's just, it's like, it, you have to kind of really be on your toes to actually kind of keep up with what's going on with Alexis and Joe and, and, and the drummer, um, Leo and Rob, like who are just constantly, you know, changing what they do all the time. Um, whereas with LCD, things are dialed into this insane degree, which is kind of restrictive on a, and makes you feel weird for a different reason. Um, because, you know, he, James will actually like tell you exactly like what amount of like palm damping to use on the guitar string and this kind of stuff. And, and like, you know, everything is just uh, running on rails in this particular way. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, totally. Sort of in, in those things. But I think it, either way, there are things that you kind of rely on because you have been doing something for a really long time. And, you know, I feel as though things become not really crutches, but it means that, you know, you have little points in the performance that, you know, if I can get to this point, then I'll safely get to the next point. And things start to kind of, um, you start to stop thinking about what you're doing and you start to perform it, which is like two different things, really. I think that like, when you're sort of learning new music, you're, you're very much like thinking about what comes next and you're thinking about the technicalities of, of what it is that you've got to do and like, you know, how you're going to patch the synthesizer and all these kind of things. When you have done it 100, 200, 500 times, then you stop thinking about those things and you start thinking much more about how you're presenting it, basically. And I think that that's what you get when you see bands that are very, very drilled and... Um, you know, or when you see a band like on this, like the 18th month of its like, you know, two year touring cycle and just like how completely just drilled these people are. And you have to remember that they've probably been drinking for two thirds of the day, like, you know, up to that point and still able to kind of like put in these uh, performances. So, uh, yeah, I think that it, it is, you know, repetition kind of just it gives you this kind of like framework of of support upon which you can build something that is that is you know much more kind of gestural and performative and um, and yeah I mean I'm definitely a big fan of of, uh, of rehearsal uh, but I don't find myself often amongst groups of people who share that sentiment so <laughs> um, so yeah it's a bit of a a bit of a battle really and. And uh, chef to you as well. I mean, the idea of repetition night after night. I don't think your staff is maybe drinking during service uh, as much, but in the, in the same way of just you know, what are the types of elevation that you can get for by doing the same thing um, over and over again? Uh, I think that I think that, uh, and I've made my peace with it. I remember starting out, starting out cooking. I was going to go to university to do food chemistry, or because I was interested in food. But should I carry on an academic career, or should I carry on cooking full time? This is you know, twenty two years ago, aged eighteen, and uh, I remember saying to my friend, who's a uh, Daniel knows him, Daniel Soon, who's a cell cell microbiologist, does cancer research now. Uh, Every time, every day, I can feel myself going into work and, you know, I'll do it up here so you can see, chopping an onion really, really fast, but my brain's atrophying, wasting away. And am I, am I kind of, uh, am I doing the wrong thing? Because uh, uh, maybe music's this, maybe the same. 10% uh, is creation and 90% is repetition. And you, you, the the most part of my job is once a recipe's been decided, coming in every day and filling those fish, chopping those onions, mm. you know, boiling those potatoes, brunoising something, filleting something, cutting something perfectly. And the large part of the job is simple mechanical repetition and uh you have to you have to find fun and pleasure in that in order to be able to do the the fun part which is the coming up with ideas and then trying to make things work 
I think that's exactly, I think it's kind of like, you know, when those, what you're talking about, about things kind of being on autopilot and not occupying that like part of your brain that is like the sort of very focused part of your brain, that that's what you actually need to do the cool stuff. Like do stuff that takes something, you know, or elevate something and take something to a sort of next, next level and whatever. And, and you need to be able to like, sort of took away all of that technical stuff in a, like a, just a different compartment of your brain that is basically just, you're worrying, you're worrying about it almost with it as a, as a separate person. And then, you know, allow yourself to kind of take, you know, to just do something that you would, that you're allowed to think about because you're not thinking about all this other stuff. And um, yeah, we definitely find that in, in the live situation. But I mean, in the studio situation also, I think that, you know, creating an environment for yourself whereby, you know, there is an ease to what you're doing, like something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, but because like, I don't want to be in the studio, like solving technical problems. I do have to do that from time to time. Mm. It just always happens. But if you can create a sort of environment, a working environment for yourself, whereby all you're doing really is the, the sort of the real fundamental creative parts and everything else is taken care of to a greater or lesser extent, that's when you can do some, some really great work. And so that's my sort of, you know, problem at the moment is to try and like create an environment whereby somebody can just walk in there, whatever they think they want to do, they can just go over there and do it. And then not um, and that may have some kind of, application in the i mean what was it like getting the, the wicked kitchen for the first time in club club and like having access to all those toys and like was that cool <laughs> like, yeah do you well, we, we took a long time designing the kitchen because we had limited space and everybody's amazed every single time they come to the restaurant that they're like where's where's the rest of the kitchen how do you how do you do it from that small space and we had to uh, in that sense, you can have a kitchen the size of a football pitch, but do bad food, or a tiny kitchen and do great food. It's about how much you care, how you do things, your skill, and the way the way you execute them. Having a bigger kitchen won't make the food better. You have to have the ideas first, but having a bigger kitchen might allow you to do the bigger ideas that you're unable to in a smaller space. Um, quick, quick thing. And then Daniel, I want to get to you because I want to hear about house service. We don't normally get front of house. Yeah. Here. Um, but if you have any questions, um, for our guests, please, uh, email events at faded.com. We will get to them. Essex market is a historic public market located on Manhattan's lower East side. The market's 30-plus vendors source thousands of unique products, like locally made Jersey cheese to Nordic smoked specialties. This holiday season, Essex Market is offering five carefully curated gift boxes. Feast on the finest products from their family of small business owners. And that's great news for the team at HRN because we're always searching for unique gifts this time of year. Plus, these gift boxes are available for nationwide shipping now through December 18th. Send a taste of New York City to your loved ones both near and far and get 10% off when you enter promo code HRN10 at checkout. Visit shop.essexmarket.nyc to learn more and to start sending some food-filled holiday cheer today. Daniel, same question, you know, service, yeah. so many variables to it. You've got so many different things. You, you have like, you have the least um, repetition on the people that you're interacting with. Al's got Ooh. the same band members. Chef has the same, you know, the culinary brigade. So yeah. what have you learned on your, you know, 10,000 hours of, of service that you could only learn af after doing that many hours? Well, it, it's interesting. I always kind of, the music comparison is something that I always think about, um, you know, kind of broad brushstrokes, like not at the moment because no live shows, but, you know, a band survives on the fact that people buy things from them right so records or they go to a gig and they experience that and i suppose you are receiving money for 
creative things that people enjoy, right? And a restaurant's a similar sort of thing. So I think, yeah. And I think in the same way, you know, the um, the conversations you were having then um, or the things you were saying then, Al, about the sort of discipline and the specificity of Mr. Murphy, uh, you know, you think about that, let's say, for instance, the the waiters are all members of my band, you know, and it's like, how do I kind of get them to, I realise I just made my, made an analogy between myself and James Murphy. I'm sorry about that. I don't mean to do that. <laughs> but, oh, that's the point I'd like to see. <laughs> <laughs> Not after the last conversation you told me about him. I didn't realise he was like an MM, like a MMA fighter. Um, <laughs> he likes to think that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think one of the things I really struggled with to start off with was, um, I suppose, that transition between Johnny and I being in that room to then having a team of waiters and how I try to perhaps recreate myself in the in the essence of the, the role that those people were doing and how I tried to teach them. And then I realised that it wasn't about that. It was about creating an environment and a kind of, it sounds boring, but the sort of procedural operational structure for that to be very specific, but then allow them to be themselves. Um, and that's what I think, I think we've done. And, and Isaac's always been very supportive of that. Um, you know, uh, I think he's, yeah, he's always kind of, he'd much like, I think all, all of us in this uh you know, virtual room would prefer to have someone who perhaps makes the odd mistake, but is engaging and warm and um, and and tries to be themselves and talk to you and say, hi, how are you doing? And I think, you know, that was something that we always wanted to do with the Clove Club was to try and create a restaurant which people felt comfortable in and the service and the food was going to be amazing, but you actually had people there who weren't in kind of an ill-fitted kind of suit who were like, you know, quite subservient. And so I, th I think the real, the real challenge in terms of like the repetition thing was for me, I, I you know, um, we haven't really sort of reflected and talked about this, but I really kind of, I really empathize with Isaac's frustration sometimes uh, with the, with the service in the front of house, because, you know, he had so much experience of a kitchen and while it was a new environment, just the discipline of, of doing that uh, whereas I was in a completely new environment and I've never really had to manage anyone really I've done a little bit St John Bread and Wine but then creating the backbone the procedures you know the step of service you know you know and you really do have to get down to that level of detail so that everybody does everything the same way and then once everyone does that then you can kind of open it up and then people can be the afforded the, the kind of luxury to be themselves and then that's when at the clove club at least i think that's when the kind of magic really starts to happen because people are getting really amazing service they're never wanting for anything you know but people are, are, are judging how much interaction um their guests want in terms of the waiters they're really dialed into the mood you know businessmen who don't want to be interrupted not going over and giving them like a five minute description while their food's going cold um you know versus people who are there for the experience who want to know all about it not just the ingredients on the plate they want to know all the techniques behind it and um i think those are two extremes but i suppose yeah i think you have to do really boring stuff and really drill boring stuff into people to get them to understand then that then the good stuff comes on top of that and i think having seen so many different iterations of the team over the last, you know, uh, eight, seven, eight years, it's, um, it's interesting, actually, like when we first started, we didn't write anything down. So this whole team kind of got to a point where they learned how to do stuff, you know, like you pull out the chair when someone comes in, you fold the napkin, you know, um, this is how you show someone to the bathroom, you know, all these things that we sort of developed basically that team kind of just sort of left, not on mass. It wasn't a, a walkout, but the, a couple of people left and a couple of people left and a couple of people left. And then we were just left with a team of people who then had to learn everything again verbally. And it was just like, it was a massive realization for me that I then had to really work hard to get this kind of paperwork and structure uh, in place 
to be able to hand someone, a, you know, now there's a document that they get handed before they even come into the building that tells them everything that we do, shows them a picture of Isaac, for instance, so they don't come in and like, you know, be rude to him or, you know, just like simple things. These are the fire exits. This is, you know, this is, you know, this, you're going to get paid on this day. And then like, you know, these are this, you know, all the kind of very, then the minutiae of the detail of the service, because it is very detailed. Um, so I suppose, yeah, it is, it's uh, it's a similar sort of, it's a similar sort of discipline. There's, there's very, there's a lot of parallels between um, playing live in a, in a band or, you know, creating, a set of procedures for everyone to make the dish the same way it's the same way as you know making sure everyone serves um everything in the right way uh is is a similar sort of philosophy and a similar process i think i mean that's yeah i mean that's there's so much that goes into it that people don't even see or don't even think about um which is pretty amazing of all the small tweaks small changes that you make all the time um and one of the, the biggest changes we have right now would be remiss to, uh, you know, talk about the COVID and Corona experience that we're going through right now, because everyone um, is affected by it. You know, our book is made up by 77 independent restaurants. A lot of the musicians featured in there are independent musicians. And even if you're not an independent musician, you are suffering right now. Um, I, I would say, and this is sort of folding in a question from one of the, the, the people watching right now. Um, what is one of the things that you never thought you would miss uh, during normal times now that you miss during COVID? And um, Al, you sort of touched on this in our pre-call yesterday, um, but what do, you, what do you feel life is going to be like for live shows and dining out after? What are you looking forward to or what are you nervous about when the, when the doors reopen to venues and restaurants? Uh-huh. Well, I miss airport pints is what I miss. <laughs> Just, That's a know, good one. Not quite cold enough, not quite fizzy enough. <laughs> just, yeah, just, just pure, just a shitty pint where you get on the plane. Um, so yeah, thinking about that quite a bit. Um, I mean, yeah, we were talking yesterday a little bit. And I don't really know how much this is true, but I was just thinking about uh, the concept of like, of things Basically, of having done, like we were talking about, repeating things, doing hundreds and hundreds of gigs a year for many, many years in a row, and then having this break, like, and then not a self-imposed break, but like, you know, uh, sort of something that's been imposed on you, um, and how that's going to make you feel coming back. And uh, I was talking with, with Joe from Hot Chip, and he was sort of saying that he feels as though there is going to be a sort of level of, of nervousness and just kind of like, Again, yeah, what we've been talking about, all that stuff that was kind of muscle muscle memory and was kind of really just dialed in through never having stopped. Do I mean, I haven't even picked up guitar for like a year. And I, I picked one up the other day and I, all my, my little fingers are soft. I, it hurt to play. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> just like, realize it's happening. Oh my God, like, this is going to be nervous. This, this is going to be, you know, like, doing those big gigs for the first time when you hadn't done it before and, and, and seeing all the people there and they're all looking at you. And um, yeah, I think that will be quite strange. I mean, hopefully it'll just come back and we won't just sort of just lose it and get actual stage fright and sort of walk <laughs> off or sort of vomit in the bucket at the, of the stage or something like that. But um, but yeah, you know, it's definitely something that, that I thought about. And, and I think that it, as a general thing for the industry, the music industry, the restaurant industry, it's like, it's the loss of skills that come through the lack of opportunity to do what you do like you know this the, the reason that places get good is because they're just doing you know two three services every night you know for years and years and years same thing with musicians you know they're just doing it and like yeah you will have you will there will be this discernible dip in uh, in what people are presenting there's you know people have been writing a lot and there'll be a lot of recorded music that i think suddenly comes out um you know early next year or, or whatever and and i think that's really really cool but but because the music industry is not separated from the live industry they feed into each other they support each other and and uh you know the money that is lost there will be reflected on on uh, the recorded side because you just uh, um, 
so yeah, I'm who knows. Uh, I'm very excited to to get to that point though, and, and I'm sure that Isaac and Ben are too. Yeah, I think um uh imposter syndrome. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Um, mm. And you know, uh I came back to came back to work from lockdown, reopening, terrified that we were going to be found out, that we weren't very good, nobody was going to like us, nobody's going to come to our restaurant. And uh, uh, that's not the case, but it's that, like, you know, I used, I, used to have that, I used to have that feeling when I went on two weeks' holidays. I'd be nervous coming back into, like, working in other people's kitchens, I'd be nervous going back into the kitchen. Have I forgotten how to do this? Am I going to be... Am I going to be okay? Am I going to survive in this place? And opening our own, you know, coming back from lockdown to our own restaurant, do people still care about us? Are we, was, is, you know, is it broken now? And, uh, and you realise that's not true. Um, that's probably why you're good. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you didn't have... <laughs> If you didn't have those things in your back of mind and you just relaxed into it, it's like, hey, all right, another service. Don't have to try so hard on this one. I mean, uh, that's when you get shit, that's when things do, uh, you know, dip. And the fact that you're thinking about that, the fact that you're feeling it is why, why it was okay, probably, I would say. There was a moment, though, uh, back in your early day, your pop-up, that, like, you were going to smash all the pop-ups and blow them out of the water. And I'm sure, Al, there was early days of hot chip and LCD, where you're like, we're the best band in the world. When in music and food does it switch from having that like arrogance and be like, no one's doing it as good to being like, I know just a little bit more now. Like, where is that? Where is that switch? Because both careers have that pivot I moment. Feel that. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think um, I think it just comes with a bit of maturity. I think um, I see it now, like you know, um, managing. Uh, younger millennials being just on the cusp of uh, millennia myself uh, it's uh, it's a thing mm -hmm. you know like yeah. uh, and actually not just younger generations but also um, younger kids and being older and having maturity and knowing a bit more uh, about life and I think having I think it's when you get put into those situations where you realize through no fault of your own that you're in this really terrible situation or you do what you think is the right thing to do and actually that wasn't the right thing to do and you completely mess uh, up things. And then I think you kind of get to realise that actually you don't have life worked out and um, you've you've got a lot to learn. And I think that, um, yeah, from a restaurant side of things, I you know, I kind of was like, when we were at Tambells, I used to like, peacock around you know I'd go into restaurants and be like really sort of critical about about them and just sort of you know and you get it sometimes with people in the industry who are younger who are just a bit young and kind of judgmental because um you know they don't they just they don't have that maturity and they haven't kind of experienced life that little bit more and I think um you just have to sort of be be sympathetic I suppose um maybe don't uh, see bands but you see it in rest like I didn't I didn't recognize it in life being in university or, or young light in restaurants but uh, as an employee but uh, I've come to realize that there is an age probably about 22 to 24 25 where you think you rule the world you know or you you know more than everybody else you've got all figured out and uh, you want to and those idiot bosses just don't know what they're talking about and uh, it's going to take you a few more years before you realise that. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I was wrong back then. But you. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe, maybe they weren't all wrong. But there, there is a, there is a certain individual who, who comes along who. And you know, maybe you know, maybe I was, maybe I was that person back then too. I don't know. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a tiny, tiny, tiny little yeah. bit. <laughs> it was. Uh... You know, very early, early in uh, the development creative career with food that I've been I've been working in. Someone much older than me, after I kept pitching an idea after idea, one said, "He goes, you know, not everyone lives in the Lower East Side in Williamsburg." <laughs> and, uh, 
This was 2005, 2006. And uh, I've gotten a lot of advice over the year, but, and that could, I guess, apply to what Dalston and Shoreditch and, you know, or, or, you know, the, the hipper parts of the world. And it, it takes so long to really understand what, or for me, what that guy was saying um, at the, you know, the cost and, and chagrin of much of a career that I maybe could have had if I would have been like, oh yeah, not everyone's going to understand or like this attitude that's emanating from these hipper parts of the world. Um, so we, but wanna, you know, it's, it, it's age, right? I, I agree with you guys. It's like age and maturity and maybe running into the same wall a couple of times to go like, okay, maybe, maybe through the door next time, not, not but, through the wall. Like kind of like self analysis, like constant, you know, or, a, or a kind of, you know, that as a disease. Cause I mean, even when I'm saying, oh, you know, I, I know nothing about what I'm doing. I'm also thinking, oh, well, that's what a kind of a guy who would know a lot would say. <laughs> because i'm saying that i don't but people know that i do people so know, like, yeah. and then you just start yeah. disappear down this constant hole of like thinking or like what you know but yeah and i think that that is probably something that you know is, is shared by anybody that's sort of going out on their own and like having to you know sort of present themselves to the world you know you, you there is a lot of kind of necessary self-analysis with age, you, you care a little bit less about how you're seen, and you just care a bit more about how what you do makes you feel, I guess. And and I mean, yeah, we're all very, very lucky to be doing something that we probably would be doing anyway, even if we weren't getting paid to do it. But um, yeah, I definitely think about that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if uh, people are asking where to get the best airport pint and you go i'm not the guy to know about that you know it's gotta be luton straight away <laughs> <laughs> um, so like one, one more question in um we've been doing this throughout the tour but we're gonna make this the holiday edition um what is your favorite holiday song paired with your favorite holiday food oh, uh no. and for bonus who makes it and where can you get it from? Mom's is also an acceptable answer. <laughs> uh, well, the traditional thing, and I'm sure it's traditional for a lot of people, uh, for me and my wife, when we, we're very obsessive about um, about our Christmas tree decorations, and we like, that's our favorite thing to do. And we do put on Charlie Brown's Christmas that was introduced to me actually, because I think people sort of know about that. It's a very common thing in the States, but that Vince Guaraldi record isn't like totally mm. well known in the UK, or at least it wasn't maybe like 15 years ago. And um, so Nancy told me about that. And then we just, we put the decorations on and it's very, very Christmassy. It's extremely Christmassy. Um, so I'll be enjoying doing that soon. As long as my wife doesn't uh, accidentally buy the wrong size Christmas tree, which she has been known to do. And I have to get the, get the hacksaw out and take it down a couple of feet. But, uh, and what are you eating? What are we eating? I actually quite like, I quite like, for some reason I find Chinese food quite um, quite festive. I think that's because I spent a, a, a Christmas day in New York City one time and we went to get um, Chinese food. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, we, um, we're very lucky. We've got a, um, a very good Sichuan place right here on Brick Lane called Sichuan Folk. Um, and so, yeah, in the run up, then Lulu and I often get some of that food. Maybe that's why I associate with the dumplings. <laughs> so, yeah. Daniel, chef, song and food for the holidays. Okay, my song, when I need to get hyped is, uh, I'm going to get the name of the song wrong. So, uh, <laughs> uh, somebody help me out. The Waitresses, is it? Christmas, Christmas shopping, is it? Or something? Chris, that's the one you like, isn't it? Is it Merry Christmas or is it Christmas? Merry, Christ Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. That one. No, not that one. Waitresses. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. You know, a lot of people. That's what you want to get at Christmas time. That's why. That's. I never really thought about a thing if like, people want to get like hyped to Christmas time by playing Christmas songs, but I, I guess that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are a number of people in the book who submitted like 
my this is my absolute number one favorite song in the world and had the name wrong. So oh, yeah. I, I found yeah, that yeah, yeah. very charming. They're like, nothing beats this song for me. And then I was like, that's not, I was like, that's not actually the name. So um, totally fine, totally fine. Um, so Chef, so you have that song, which none of us can properly name. What are you pairing it with? Oh, um, we're an open church. I don't know, some years it's turkey, some years it's roast beef. Uh, we're in the UK. We've got all the good meats, so mm. <laughs> we can do, we can do we can do whatever we want. Uh, I like turkey. It's a bit big. It depends how many people are coming. How many people are coming this year? I don't know. We got um, Christmas Christmas ducks. They're called from a, a very good farmer in Cornwall who uh, breeds them mostly for Christmas now year round. Yeah, all the meats. This year, roast duck. Roast duck. Daniel, song, food, holiday edition. Where are you getting it from? Uh, so, generally, I always try and do like, or I, ha- I haven't done it every year, but um, I'll often do like a party at a pub. Once was at Campbell Arms, um, and last time, last year, it was at the Gun. Um, Sunday night. Um, and I took, four, I think I took about 40 mint, 40, 24 mince pies with me and put them on the bar. And then we got a couple of bottles of sherry and we were just kind of handing them out. But it was just like really, I hadn't really thought about the context of, uh, of it. But uh, basically I was like, I'm going to play the Christmas, Elvis Christmas album from start to finish. And I was like, I'm going to turn up an hour early. I was booked to play at like seven. And I was like, I'm going to do six till seven. We're going to listen to the Elvis Christmas album in its entirety. And then we're going to all going to have like a mince, mince pie and, um, and drink some sherry. But like, <laughs> it was just quite funny because there's a few people there who worked there who were, um, who'd been up all night. Um, and the, the first time I played there, they loved it so much. They all came back and were like, we've stayed up all night. We've come to see you play. I was like, okay, great. So they didn't want the mince pies because <laughs> they've been up all night. And uh, so I ended up sort of handing them out. And then I realized it was sort of quite odd. I was like, is anyone, <laughs> these random people. But after a while, everyone got into it and uh, and it was great. But um, yeah, I, so I, I do love a mince pie. Uh, mince pie hack for anyone out there who can't be bothered to make it all themselves is make the pastry yourself, buy the mince meat, and then bake them. So you get that kind of like, if you haven't got the time, if you have got the time, make them because they are actually not that hard to make. But the mince meat is a bit harder. Fruit stuff for American people. What's that? Mince meat's fruit stuff. Yeah, yeah. All the dried fruits, basically. Um, yeah. And then the other key thing is making your own brandy butter. But if you make it with... Um, cognac i can't remember the name of the one but it's like really strong it's like 70 percent and you uh it's like it's just a killer combination so i'd have to Mm -hmm. say uh mince pies and industrial strength brandy butter with the elvis christmas album start to finish also really good other christmas albums are the d martin christmas album and the frank sinatra christmas album yeah those three. The Demis Roussos Christmas album, which I discovered recently, is pretty good. Pretty oh, big. really? Yeah, pretty nice. I would check that one out. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Andy Williams' Most Wonderful Time of the Year. It yes. really, when that song kicks in, it rips very, very hard. And yeah. uh, I, I like a Thomas, Ke- I'll do the Thomas Keller roast chicken with root vegetables. Real crowd, super easy. You just whack it in the oven and then you can just, you know, Enjoy the fire, have some wine, listen to Andy Williams on repeat. Nice. Uh, Well, we want to thank everyone for tuning in and joining us today. Um, We want to thank Faden. There's all support of our new book, Snacky Tunes. Music is the main ingredient. You can find Daniel and Chef Isaac in here. Their playlists, stories, recipe from Chef Isaac. Um, Everyone who bought a copy for today's event, portion of the proceeds go to uh, help refugees which is amazing uh, charity by uh, selected by our guests today. And we want to make sure everyone calls out where they can find each other, uh, where they can follow you, um, listen to music, get recipes, get books, et cetera. Why don't we start with Clove Club and we'll end with Al. Uh, we're uh, at SnackyTunes and SnackyTunes.com for everything you need uh, and more. Um, you can find the Clove Club unsurprisingly at the Clove Club on Instagram uh, and the websites.com. Uh, you can find me uh, at 
Daniel Clove, and there's some music and playlist stuff, some links to stuff there. Um, Isaac? I am... I spend my life explaining my, spelling my name, so my Instagram handle stuck with me. It's Isaac, I-S-A-A-C. That is at I-T-S underscore I-S-A-A-C. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's the band, um, Instagram is just uh, Hot Chip, um, and the... Uh, uh, Twitter is hot underscore chip because somebody got there. Guy, I think it's guy. Uh, and um, I am at Al Doyle tweets on Twitter as well. If you want some uh, some hard hitting political, <laughs> make, make sure you follow. Oh, go on. Make sure you follow at the Clove Club, not at Clove Club, because that's a Korean sportswear. Brand, Korean hmm. golfwear brand for women. Some but if you, you need a holiday gift idea for the uh, golfer in your life, there you yeah. go. Uh, well, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, a shout out to everyone who watched. Shout out to our good friend Anna Polanski who just said hi to everyone as well. Hi Anna. Uh, and thank you everyone. We have um, we are doing a DJ set tomorrow on the Lot Radio um, with Chef Playlist, and then our final event of the book tour is with Nina Compton and Preservation Hall Jazz Club on Thursday. So thanks everyone, and uh, we'll see you later this week. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.